July 16, 1945. The very first atomic bomb, codenamed Trinity, was detonated at the Alamogordo bombing range. Thus, the human race proved it could wield the devastating power of the atom and entered the atomic age. Only four years later, the Soviet Union would detonate its first nuclear weapon and set the world in a position where ushering in total global annihilation would be as simple as turning a key. With planet Earth being in such a precarious situation during the early days of the Cold War, could this have been the reason for one of the most well-documented and puzzling UFO cases in modern history? During two consecutive weeks in the month of July in 1952, strange objects were spotted streaking through the skies above Washington, D.C. The objects traveled at speeds and in patterns that indicated something of intelligent control, going so far as seemingly disappearing when pursued by military jet aircraft and then shortly reappearing after the jets had left the area. Hundreds of eyewitnesses made reports of seeing the UFOs, and the objects even appeared on radar in multiple air control towers around the D.C. area. What could these objects have been? Why were they so interested in Washington, D.C.? How did the U.S. government investigate these incidents? Join the theorists as they look to the skies above the White House in... The Washington, D.C. UFO Incident. The Washington UFO flip flap, Patty Whack. I'm Braden. <laughs> I'm Zell. <laughs> I'm Dan. Dan, Dan you're all I fucking realize tangled up. I'm there. having a melt. I'm having a meltdown. That's all fucking tangled up. What are you? What's happening there, Dan? Uh battery low on the headset. Oh, there you go. Oh, there you yeah. go. I was like, I was like, we've Zell gave us like 18 countdowns. I was like, what? <laughs> Dan's here just hamming it up for the cameras. Nope. Doing it on purpose. Um, Dan had a bottle of wine. I realized as soon as we started, I forgot what we were going to call this case file. Yeah. We we, we settled with incident, but you went with it's It's on the YouTube stream. Like, it's it's right there. (laughs) Why wasn't... I'm not looking at the YouTube stream, Dan. How how can you see all the really nice things that people are saying about us in chat? The last time I was on it, there was just it was full of nonsense. I can actually I can actually pull up the chat on the on the stream. You see that? Yeah, oh, I can see it. Look at that. Let's get uh, let's start this one off with a little uh, space news. You forget how to say that too. Well, I forgot. So you try to give me. You started saying it, and then you want to give me the heads up. So you held yeah, it. Yeah, for you got a it. While. You got it. I love how we blew the budget in the effects, and we couldn't afford a better font. <laughs> Dude, the fonts are so shitty on OBS Studio. We got to. I got to download more into it or something. Sweet so in space news. Oh my goodness! All right, what did I have here? Uh, just one week. Well, by the time uh, you're listening to this, 
unless you're watching it live. Oh, man, I can do Aurora alerts now live because we're doing it live. People are watching live. I'm getting back to uh, Aurora next week. Going back to Aurora's Aurora's early days. Aurora, yeah, Aurora's are coming back, baby. Oh, um, great. And this time it's personal. One of, one, of, yeah, one of the biggest astronomy events of the year is just one week away, and that is the transit on Mercury. Mercury is going to uh, pass directly in front of the sun on Monday, November 11th. It'll be 7.35 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it lasts for six hours. So remember, Monday, November 11th, go outside and look directly into the sun to see Mercury crossing, <laughs> going across it. <laughs> Stare directly into the sun for no less than 10 minutes. Yeah. It's lasting for six hours, so you can space out that 10 minutes, <laughs> 10 minutes every hour to see it moving. Don't take your eyes off the sun for six hours. I don't condone this advice. I accidentally looked at that solar eclipse that came through by, by for like a millisecond by accident. Almost fried me. I've had uh, I've had eye floaters for in my left eye for so long now, and uh, I wasn't sure. I just all of a sudden got one, and I was like, "What is this thing?" It's like I thought it was like a fruit fly all the time. I'm trying to like chase, I can't see chasing it. it around. Yeah, chasing it all the time. Then I realized, oh, it's on my eye, and I was like, "It's because I'm getting old now. I just have a weird." Thing always in my vision. Like it's always there cool now. Though. Always. 24-7, man. That's no good. And uh, I would go to an optometrist and get it checked. But this is the this is the <laughs> this is the ironic. butt. This is the butt. A month before this floater popped into my eye, I burned through my whole year's worth of um like eye optometrist benefits on sunglasses. <laughs> you spent four hundred bucks <laughs> on sunglasses? Yeah, so I don't have any optometrist benefits until the new year. So I've just I mean, you got to get those sweet wraparounds to like go. Yeah, dude, the, the uh, HD vision. Oh, dude, I had those after I got my laser surgery. Legit. They gave me those sunglasses that wrap right around, right to your, like right around your temple. Was it 3D HD? Oh, dude, the vision is crisp. Tell you what. Everything's in 3D. HD. Uh this one's uh, so real. This is old. I don't know. I had this pulled up, but I'm going to read it anyway. It's old. A cube-shaped object of Earth size was observed near the sun. Um, someone had sent this to me. A mysterious cube appears regularly in the lens of the satellite cameras that observe the solar phenomena. UFOologists in the United States saw this cube again on February 9th this year. Independent researchers have noticed three common things about all phenomenon this of this type so far. It's a cube. It has the shape of a cube, which cannot be a natural object, even if it's kind of plasma ejected by the sun. It's big, and it only appears for a fraction of a second. But now I'm like... What? <laughs> some Yeah, I'm like... I was like, someone's posting the video, but I was like, you know what? I think this... Uh, so it, what are they saying? It's like, like an this. alien ship, board cube. It's a or game like an old GameCube. It's floating out there. It's like seriously just uh, a. F- it's I'm like watching the video. It goes by so fast. A GameCube the even, size of Earth. It just it just appears on the like. I think it's more of probably a camera camera issue. That it, it, like it's nothing. I was like, no, I'm actually a little. I'm not even gonna bring post a link. You can look it's it the up. Board. It's the you board cube, man. You'll be assimilated. 
Oh, NASA's Voyager 2 sends back its first message from interstellar space. Interstellar? Interstellar. <laughs> it's kind of like interstellar, just a little bit closer. Cool. Uh, thanks for that. <laughs> interstellar. It's not quite a cellar, not quite a basement. Yeah. Interstellar. In- interstellar. Interstellar. Yeah. Uh, 12 billion miles from Earth. Uh, this is the... This is an elusive boundary that marks the edge of the sun's realm and the start of interstellar space. Uh, when Voyager 2, the longest-running space mission, crossed that frontier more than 40 years after its launch, it sent a faint signal from the other side that scientists have now decoded. So it's out there. just It's still ticking away. Because what, the first one went across like six, a while ago, didn't it? Uh, one crossed one crossed the fear the field way earlier. Yeah, I thought it was like in the eighties, the first Voyager one. But I six I, years. I don't have that. Yeah, it took six. I don't know. It was I don't six have years ago. Dates. Six years ago. So this is the second. Oh, the one. first one did. Yeah. Yeah. So well, it's getting. We're still getting some messages from it. That's crazy. This must be just like a giant satellite on Earth, or like an array of a giant satellites to pick that up. A lonely little satellite. Out there all no, by himself. Because didn't Please. they say? Hey. Didn't they say in that that it was only like a three and a half watt signal, like something so tiny? So they needed. I think they said it was like an eight. What is it? Eight hundred eight hundred meter telescope. I don't remember. Anyway, so that's cool. Um, what else do I got here? Did I have anything else? To... We got that. Nah, there, I, I got. I was reading one that it says like they're thinking that maybe the the Mars bases that they're planning, maybe they're going to do a moon dry run. With some of these uh, base properties, um, but at the end of the article, it says maybe not. Maybe they won't do that. It's going to suck not so hard to make those things because you're like you can never really test it 100. percent You're like, well, this is how it works on Earth, or this works is this is how it works in conditions that are a rough, well, like a pretty close approximation to Mars, but not quite, and. You just never, you'll never know until it gets there and then it, and then whether it works or not. That's cool. That's got to really suck. I'm just, I'm sure those engineers are super smart people, but man, it's got to fucking suck. Yeah. The first people to set it up, like, well, yeah. It doesn't get, I hope it works (laughs) on the first try or you're like, well, fuck. (laughs) Um, I had one piece of space news. The Boeing performs the Starliner pad abort test. So the Starliner is going to be like the next uh, manned capsule that NASA is sending up. Yeah. So this one was in case of like a f- malfunctioning rocket, I guess the capsule would escape. And it's like a safety feature of the capsule. So one of the rock- escape pod. Like an escape Sweet. pod. And then it's supposed to land. So two of the three parachutes deployed. They're not really sure why the third didn't. But it would have been two out of three parachutes. They said two out of three. That's like the redundancy, and they would still would have been safe. So it would would have been a, su- a success. So pretty cool. Two out of three is better than zero out of three. That's all I had. Sure. That's all I had too. <laughs> that's all we had. Space week. <laughs> so do we move um, on to the to the topic at hand, gentlemen. Yeah, let's, let's get back let's to some alien this. talk. It's been a while. Ooh, yeah, we haven't talked about UFOs in quite a while. Took the month it's off. A bit. It's been a bit. All right. We've been talking about spooky, spooky stuff. And now we're back into the, you know, keeping our eyes on the skies. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And a so, lot of people had their eyes on the skies in 1952. 1952. 
1952. The DC UFO incident, also known as the Washington flap for reasons that I'm not 100% sure as to why they call it a flap. Uh, or the Washington National Airport sightings or the invasion of Washington by, you know, probably more creative uh, headline writers. So this is probably one of the most like highly witnessed with like the most UFO reports. This kind of like almost set off. I would say this almost just pretty much set off the UFO bomb, so to say. Like brought it into the really like the mainstream media like as as something that people were to be concerned about. Yeah. Like so started in like forty seven with the alleged Roswell crash and didn't really pick up steam until around like the early fifties. Right. So the event pretty much starts. Um, it's actually a lengthy event. It's almost like a week long event. So um, a few minutes before midnight. On Saturday, July 19th, 1952, uh, one air traffic controller at National Airport uh, in Washington, D.C., uh, which is pretty close to me, actually. Um, he, they noticed something strange on the radar screen. They started picking up a couple of blips. They're about 15 miles southwest of Washington, D.C. So they were in it. They were also it was reported that they were in an, an airspace, like an area that didn't normally have any air traffic. So automatically it's something that you need to call in. You need to get somebody to come fucking look at this because something's not right. So this air traffic controller uh, went ahead and, you know, called it up, got his uh, senior air traffic controller, a guy named uh, Harry Barnes to come in and take a look at it. Now, Harry Barnes reported uh, after the event and like a few days later when he was interviewed, he, he said that they immediately knew that something strange was happening. Uh, the movements that they saw that of these, these craft or these signals that they were picking up on the radar were really out of the ordinary. They're, they're radical. Like they couldn't, they did not fit, um, the, the description or the movements of any type of aircraft known at the time. So he described them moving with, with, with sudden bursts of intense speed that the radar could not uh, like accurately track them. So they knew something was really, really, really strange going on. Um <laughs> This one really hits home with me because, like, when you see something truly fucked up that's unexplained, and it's like sticking around for a second, the first thing you're being like, "Okay, I need to, I need to get someone else in here to look at this. Like, maybe I'm being crazy here." Yeah, and that's exactly what Barnes did. He's like, he's like, you know what? I gotta have two other people come in and just look at the radar and make sure I'm not going crazy here. Right. So then. The thing is, they're picking it up on radar. So Harry Barnes is like, holy shit, this shit's weird. So let me call somebody else who has radar coverage in the area. So they went ahead and called Andrews Air Force Base. And at first, when they called Andrews Air Force Base, they said that they didn't actually see anything. But then a couple minutes later, maybe just like a short while later, they started picking up something on their radar as well. Uh, one... Uh, airman uh, William Brady, who was actually in the tower at the time, said that he had actually made visual contact of what what may have been uh, what they're picking up on radar. And he described objects which appeared to be like orange balls of fire um, trailing a tail. 
Um, Some might say great balls of fire, but yeah. (laughs) Great balls of fire later in the 1960s when that song was actually written. Yeah. I heard this is the inspiration. This is the inspiration for that song. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. That checks out that and top gun. Right. And we'll, (laughs) we'll come back to that. We'll come back to the top gun thing. We'll come back to that. I have something for that. Um, so, uh, Airman Brady, uh, tried to alert other personnel in the tower and like this thing he said took off at an unbelievable speed. Um, even someone on the national airports runways, it wasn't just the, the towers picking up these things on, on their radar. Um, at least one capital airlines pilot, one SC Pierman picked up. Uh, he said that he was waiting to take off in his DC four. And he said that he's what he thought was a meteor um, in the skies. And he told the control tower that they, uh, that they had detected unknown objects closing in on his position. And like, they said that at least um, let's see pyramid in his DC seven, was it DC seven DC four. Sorry. Uh, had said he's observed at least six objects and he said they were white tailless and fast moving lights. And he said that he observed these things over a 14 minute period. Crazy. So you've got all this weird shit going on. So you've got all these lights in the sky, uh, radar contacts all over the Washington, DC, the capital of the United States. So, you know, procedure is going to be like, well, well, nobody can really identify what these fucking things are. We need to get people up in the air. So at about 3 a.m., uh, two, uh, right, well, you know, right before they scrambled two uh, F-94 Starfire jet fighters uh, from the Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware, all of the objects disappeared from radar. They're gone. The jets got there. Uh, they looked for these things until they were low on fuel and they had to return. Um, but they said that after when they started to leave, it seemed that these objects returned and this kind of convinced uh, Barnes, you know, that the UFO had actually been monitoring radio radio traffic and then were kind of modifying their behavior in order to kind of, you know, either confuse them or within like the fighters are going to be gone. So we're going to come back. Yeah. They're actually like intelligently like evading the signal. Exactly. So the objects were last detected that, that morning at five thirty AM and then they were gone. It's bananas. That's a good one. Yeah. You think that would be bananas, but it gets even more bananas because a week, exactly a week after that, before you, before you get into the next section here, like, these like this isn't like Tom Dick and Harry. This is like these are trained pilots, Top trained guys. radar technicians, and they're all going like, "What? This is crazy! Like this is shit we've never seen before." Losing it, so it's not just someone like looking in the sky, untrained, and being like, "Oh, what's that? Swamp gas or whatever." It these are people who are trained to read these instruments, who are baffled at what they're seeing. That's why this this one especially gives. I find it so believable and so interesting, uh, such an interesting case. Yeah, man. I like this one a yeah. lot. 
And it wasn't even it wasn't even just the like the there were a number of sightings by civilians in the area, like seeing strange things in the sky, not just these uh, bright lights, which seem to move over the sky. But there are also, uh, according to some reports, somebody at least uh, across the Potomac River, they described seeing a long cigar shaped ship or some sort that seemed to be circling at least one area of the suburbs around that area. And it took off. Same thing could have been something. but. There were just a lot of strange sightings going on around that time. Um, so you had all this strange stuff going on and then not even like before it even had a time to kind of like settle in before these people had a, you know, kind of just like sit down and figure out what's going on. They had another string of sightings. So at 8.15 p.m. on Saturday, July 26, 1952, at least one pilot and stewardess on a national airlines flight. Uh, coming into Washington said they had observed some strange lights above their plane. And within minutes of that radar centers and national airport and the radar at Andrews air force base picked up unknown objects. So (laughs) So it's not just, it's not just like a localized like anomaly. There's multiple stations picking up the same signals. Right. Uh, At least one uh, United States Air Force Master Sergeant, uh, Charles E. Cummings, said that he observed these objects uh, while they were at Andrews. And he said that the lights did not have the characteristics of shooting stars. There were no tail. There were no tails. Uh, They traveled faster than any shooting star that he'd ever seen. Um, And you can imagine probably at this point, the Air Force is probably pretty, pretty pissed that that they kind of let these objects get away the first time. So pretty much right after they hear the reports of these these objects, they know they need to get people up in the air. So the Air Force launched their two F-94 Starfire jet fighters from Newcastle Air Force Base in Delaware again. And these ones arrived over Washington. So you had two planes. Uh, you had Captain John McHugo, the flight leader, and you also had Lieutenant William Patterson, who was his wingman. So this is probably my favorite part of the story. Um, Captain John McHugo uh, vectored towards these radar blips, and he said that he didn't see anything, right? They, they vectored in towards where the radar was putting them at, the, these radar contacts uh, from the ground, couldn't find anything. But LT William Patterson said that he saw four white glows and he chased these things. So he said that he tried to make contact with these bogeys below 1000 feet and he was at maximum speed. So maximum speed of the F 94 is about 690 miles per hour, which is about a thousand kilometers per hour, a little over a thousand kilometers per hour. So this dude just kicked on that. Yeah. I cannot imagine how, uh, Patterson fit into the cockpit of his plane with such ginormous balls. Right? <laughs> this dude is kicked on the afterburners of his fucking jet and is just Under going a thousand for it. feet. Just uh, yeah, going for it. Ah! Suck back I'm to the sure chair. Whatever the 1952 equivalent of Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins is like playing <laughs> in his head, and he's just going fucking no, full I, throttle you know, after that these things. Danger Zone did play in his head. I don't care the year. He that wrote, song he wrote traversed it that, time he wrote it right that then. situation. Wrote it right then. Highway to the Danger Zone. So he said that he at least came within, you know, shooting distance of these. I, I, they didn't really make a... Uh, 
I don't think there was really a distinction as to whether he came in with rockets or uh, I don't think they had, I'm not sure they had guided missiles at that point or gun range. Um, But he said that he got within, you know, striking distance these things and he radioed down and he asked, you know, what do you want me to do these things? Should I take the shot? And um, at least one person, Albert M. Chop, who's a civilian working um, as a press spokesperson at the Air Force, who was, you know, present during the radio conversation said there was just stunned silence. No, no, nobody knew what to do. Yeah. Uh, You know, yeah. Like Patterson, like, I mean, what do you do? You're like, okay, this dude has got what could potentially be either craft from, you know, at the time. Oh yeah. Red, um, red scare. Yeah. This was red scare. Uh, 1952 we're going on. Yeah. Uh, 1952 was pretty much like red, you know, Cold War was gearing up. The The Russians had already detonated their first nuclear bomb in 1949. Um, later that later this same year, 1952, like the UK would detonate their first nuclear bomb. So there was definitely that. You know, they had that suspicion that these could be Soviet craft at some point. So do you shoot them down or I'm sure there was something running in through the back of somebody says like, okay, so the first contact we have with intelligent, you know, space people or something is we fucking shoot them down. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be the person to make that call. Be a tough call. And personally. Patterson, Patterson, Patterson said that he ceased chasing because he was like, there's no chance of overtaking them. Like they're so fast. Yeah. They were moving so, at extreme speed. So he's, he broke off pursuit where they, they couldn't, he couldn't he even could, chase them. They were just moving way too fast. Couldn't do anything if he wanted to. Right. That's another reason that gives so much credence to this story is because now you have trained pilots who are seeing stuff in the air, radioing back to people who are seeing these things on radar being like, I see them. I see them now. They're all around me. What should I do? And everyone's like, uh, we don't even know what they are. Like, uh, we don't know. We have no idea, which makes the, which um, um, these are all highly trained people at what they do. And which just goes with the, to the official story later on. Just remember that, that these are all highly trained people who I, I would assume have been out at night before. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> Yeah, th- this whole event brought the whole kind of, you know, it made the Air Force, it made the military pretty much look like idiots. Um, the Air Force hosted what was their biggest press conference in history about these events, and they went ahead and sent, uh, I think it was General, what's his name? Uh, Major General uh, Ramey? Sorry, Sanford, Major General Sanford. Right. They sent this guy to go ahead and talk to the press about this entire occurrence. And if you read the transcripts of the things, I went through some of the transcript and it is all absolute double talk. It's it's complete a bunch of uh, he just throws a bunch of stuff together, basically saying, we don't know what the fuck we saw. We have no clue. No idea. I don't I don't envy the guy having to go out there and be like, I I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like we have no clue. Biggest, we had radar contact. Biggest press conference since like World War Two, and then you just got you got to go on the stage and say, like, "Meh, no yeah, clue." Like what? What could you possibly do? Like I, I can't imagine what 
what was going through his head. I mean, he's going to go, I'm going to go out there and do my job. I'm going to go out there and talk to the press and answer questions about stuff. I have no idea about, <laughs> you know? Um, so what, what are some of the, like, what do they try and reason with people like weather phenomena? Well, yeah, that was the, that was one of the, the kind of things I, I think most of the, most of the, what I got from reading the transcripts was that, uh, Samford didn't really try to commit to anything. He didn't really try to commit to any conclusion or any, any theory or put down a real solid explanation for what happened. They kind of just, he said that he mentioned the theory about, he mentioned the theory about temperature inversion, where, um, if you have hot, you know, if you have hot, you know, humid air, which ends up, uh, intersecting with cold air in the atmosphere, it can sometimes uh, simulate or imitate like uh, a radar contact, right? Even though that the radar operators and the people who are seeing the contacts, like they're like, no, these look, these look very, these, these were metal contacts. These, these were not, it, it doesn't look like w- what those were. These ex- people who are experienced and doing their jobs and they're like it couldn't have been weather but they and the first the first in the first incident in um july someone uh edward rupelt yeah that's the head of the u.s yeah he's working on project blue book at the time he happens to be in washington and no one lets him know that this is going on. And he's studying like aerial phenomenon and UFOs and stuff. He doesn't, no one tells him. So he doesn't learn about it till like July 22nd. He's running, and this is how much they just obviously were giving this guy the run around. He found out by the, through the papers. He had to read it in the headline. So then he's scrambling. He's trying to get a car so we can go and interview the people like very soon after. And they're like, nah, like, nah, you don't need a car. Only generals get cars. Nah, you can get a taxi cab on your own dime. Like, yeah, we're like, we're not helping you out, buddy. And so he just got frustrated. And he's like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm out of here. So he didn't do it. He just left. He's like, I've had enough. But even him later on at the press conference, he's like, I looked into temperature aversion. He's like, there was not a night, almost every single night between like June and August, there was temperature inversion. That's very common. Not every night had blips on radars yeah, like they, he's like those were isolated to those nights yeah they said that that like that weather pattern is very common for the area to have those temperature inversions so i think they tried try to explain it as the weather the inversion was reflecting the radar signals to the ground and it was actually picking out ground either cars or some type of metallic thing off the ground is how they try to justify it and they're like well that never happens here and this is like very common similar weather as normal yeah, that that was kind of the whole thing that I got from it as well is that they were trying to explain a, like the the reason that they were seeing these things was to uh ascribe it to weather and that it was because it was be it was so hot, it was so extra extraordinarily hot that, you know, that week or that that summer and that it was causing, you know, them to to have these kinds of strange weather conditions which are are strange, but they're not completely unheard of. It it would have to be the perfect storm of, you know, of shit. So it's like, okay, so, okay. If those, expl- if the temperature inversions explain the radar contacts, then what about the lights in the sky? What, 
what explains those? And if you go ahead and tell me it's some sort of mirage, which is a possibility, um, it's like, oh, you, they're, they're, they're lights, which are reflected off from the ground, from cars and things like that. And I'm like, uh, okay, that's, that's fine. But, but the way that they move, the way that they leave and then they come back. Listen, you're asking that. too many questions. All right. It's stars and meteors. That's all right. We <laughs> settled stars and meteors. We, they, everyone misidentified them. <laughs> stars and meteors turning up on fucking radar that's how it works it, it's to me it is so insulting that weren't like it was actually said like yeah a lot was just it was stars and meteors and i'm like these are trained pilots and just high like trained people and you're saying that like they've never seen stars before and yeah. on these nights they were just like whoa and then they didn't look up again for like two weeks. And then they looked up again. They were, Whoa, they're back. Oh, my God. The cloud's clear. I can see them. And the stars just happen to disappear when they try and come close. They yeah. Just, they just turn off real quick. Right. And, yeah. and it As also, stars do. I also find it extremely, extremely strange that we have never seen anything like that before, even though the like the record the record for the hottest summer in DC was like in 1980 and seven out of the 10 hottest summers that have happened in DC have all been since the year 2000. And we've never seen something like this before. Something that like we've never seen. Yeah. That extreme. And uh, you're, you're telling me that you're trying to explain it away as, as weather phenomenon, temperature inversions and putting all that stuff together in some perfect, you know, weather magic show. Sorry, Copperfield. I'm not fucking buying it. Like, yeah, and he had, and he had, had yeah. like the operators and stuff describe them as like standard metallic objects. That's what they. That's what they, how they said they like behave. So, and they, so if the, if that's the case, if there's actually weather phenomenon, they just got it really wrong just on two separate nights, just that, <sighs> and just those two nights. Yeah, and then they got it. They they got it wrong on those two nights, and then the guy who's there in town studying UFOs, they give the absolute runaround. And this isn't like Edward Rupelt. He's not. He's like he's he's the Air Force investigator. Like he's working on Project Blue Book. Like he's not just some like tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist like looking around. Like he's in charge of this project, and they're giving this guy the runaround. Yeah, like they're not. They weren't making his job easy. <laughs> It's never easy. I they didn't make the they definitely didn't make the Project Blue Book guys their job easy. No. So these guys that were actually it was their job to investigate these things. Like they didn't even the Air Force didn't even want to foot the bill for them to get a car to be able to drive around and and investigate all the reports that they had. Right. They told them that they had they had to pay the you're going to have to pay your own money for a taxi. Like, are you fucking kidding me? There were hundreds of reports, probably literally hundreds of reports. And and you guys want us to investigate all this stuff about UFOs. And you're not even going to pay for a fucking car. Yeah. Like not even pay for a car or not even pay for a cab for him to go to the base to interview the people that were involved <laughs> of this government project that's funded like to do this research. They're like, yeah, do it yourself, buddy. Out of your own pocket. We're not paying for that shit. <laughs> And then, and then even after that, like the air force was pissed after this because they're like, well, you know, probably seeing what a fucking disaster the, 
the press conference was, they they pretty much made it clear to the leaders of Project Blue Book that like we we need you to get into the the debunking business. You need you cannot do not publish anything that is unknown or you know uh, inconclusive. You need to only publish stuff that is debunking the idea that ufos are something special that they are they are something that cannot be explained uh other than a military craft or you know a misidentification of a military or aircraft um or weather phenomenon and right. so they kind of really put the kibosh on them kind of bringing out all that stuff so that's why you have so many of these reports uh from project blue book which there's i think there's over like at least 200 reports uh that were never really explained they're they're inconclusive like we don't we don't know we don't have enough information um it strikes me as strange that the air force and and military agencies would not want to investigate these things any further or even give them the resources to to really investigate these things so either they weren't taking it fucking seriously or it was just or you could say it was a cover-up that they're like they already know that they're out there so just fucking just Make it look like you're doing something. <laughs> Make it look like you're busy. Well, and it's it's funny too because, like after this, Rupelt, uh, as you finally got around to investigating this, he had talked to some of the like the uh, air the radar personnel, and said like, "What did you think about the Air Force's explanation?" They're like, "It's horseshit. It's garbage. Like that's in no way could be it." And that was pretty much a steady line from everyone he talked to involved in the incident. And it was reported uh, that, where I have a note here, uh, the tower, the Washington National had called the control tower at Andrews Air Force Base and notified them that their radar had an unknown object just south of Andrews Control Tower, directly over the Andrews Air Force Base radio range station. And that the control tower personnel looked up and said they saw a huge fiery orange sphere hovering over the range station. That's mm. what they said that night. Then when Rupert went and like, he learned about these claims, he, he heard recordings of them saying it. He goes and he interviews them and they're like, nah, well, you know, uh, we saw, it was just a bright star. We saw, we were mistaken. And he's like, okay, well that's interesting. Like, that's not what you said. Uh, he checks like an astronomical chart and he's like, well, there's no, there's no bright stars in the sky that night that you'd be like, you would say these things. Oh yeah. Uh, and later he, later he found another, someone came to him and said, Hey, listen, these guys were approached by senior officers and they were persuaded to say that it was just merely a star and they were mistaken. People like that's been going around that we need to say that. So it was like after this huge blunder of a press conference, like senior officials are being like, no, you you fucking say that you saw a star. Say you're stupid. <laughs> say you saw a star. You made a mistake, right? Like people got pressured into saying this stuff. Yeah, it, I mean it's only natural because again, like it made the United States military look extremely incompetent that you would have these kinds of craft flying over there. And I mean, you know, one of one of the major, I would probably say one of the major factors for 
for cover-ups and and some of these things that you see a lot in like uh you know botched military ops and things it's just personal pride or you know uh you have intelligence agencies that don't communicate because it's just it's it's just human pride and that people it overrides anything else and they're just like we can't look like fucking idiots in front of everybody you tell everybody that you what you saw you tell them that you saw a star you saw a comet you saw whatever but you did not see a ufo you did not see a saucer you did not see anything else that could be anything else other than you know weather phenomenon spotlights in the sky whatever swamp gas yeah pretty much it became like like such like an issue for the cia too i think because that actually led to like the creation what was it called um the robertson panel which was the oh yeah yeah which was the findings of blue book and then in the end they said like it's not a a direct risk to national security but it could be a direct risk if we don't mitigate the public's interest in these. It could overwhelm like their communications and stuff. So they pretty much just did a mass disinformation campaign, just saying all these incidents are just weather phenomenon and just look the other way. So that, that but that was actually decided in the end, like because as you said, I think in Blue Book there's actually like 700 or something unidentified. So they they couldn't completely dismiss the threat. So they just went with mis like disinformation and misinformation to the public instead of having to deal with the actual question that these craft weren't actually like the United States and they weren't, they probably weren't Russian and they were probably from like a different planet. And they're like, well, they don't seem to pose a threat directly, but if people start all of a sudden go on the mad alien train, could like overthrow communication at the time. So actually it went like pretty high. Like the Robertson panel was like a pretty thing. And then the final report I think was called the Condon report. And that was pretty much where they divulged all their conclusions about project blue book. So, but apparently the CIA involvement was directly was that that was like the final straw was the, the Washington DC flap. Cause there were so many sightings caused like such a mass like media panic. They're like, okay, we better do something. Cause if there's another one of these and we don't put this one to bed, it could, you know, it could overthrow um, national security by like overloading the communications network at the time. So it's pretty it's not like they didn't think they just didn't shrug it off completely. They actually went pretty hard into it. And there's like, well, it's probably not a threat, but let's just tell people it was a weather phenomenon just to like keep them quiet. Crazy. Yeah, this was like this was such a big one in the day, too. It was like on every newspaper. You like I was looking at some of the headlines, like everywhere. Saucers swarm over the Capitol. Big news. Uh, yeah. Radar spots, flying saucers in backyard of nation's capital. Like it was all over the news. So this was a huge sensational story, like all over the place, uh, July 1952. Like you can, uh, AF orders anti-saucer alert, like everywhere, like so many crazy headlines. Flying saucer epidemic hits a new peak. That was during this, the second round of sightings. Like these are huge things in big papers and yeah. it just gets all wiped away in history. It's crazy. Just by like a couple, like a report from just like one guy's like, it was probably weather phenomenon. Like, let's run with that. Let's run with that. It was temperature yeah. inversion or a bright star or a mix of both and fooled all these, the most advanced radar they had at the time in multiple locations at the same time. And, right. and all their trained techs. Trained techs, not just, you know, not just your average guy. He didn't have like, he didn't have a radar and he picked something up in a, a garage, like little radar studio. You know, he, he's a, like the his top of tech at the time, right? Like radar wasn't that old now. Yeah, I no. mean we've been using it all through World War II. You had experienced radar operators. Yeah. It wasn't like these people were complete newbies. And it was, you know, you had your senior air traffic controller even look at that stuff and be like, "Yeah, this is really fucking weird, dude." Because 
<laughs> you know, the guy who saw it first was like, hey, this is this is fucking weird. And then, hey, come over here and look at this. And the guy's like, yeah, that is fucking weird. <laughs> and that's when you know shit's real. <laughs> you get, you call over your superior and he's like, oh, shit, that's or weird. When man. you're in a plane and these things are outrunning you and then they're all around you and you radio going, they're all around me. What do I do? And to stun silence. I mean, like, you're going to say that at that point, ah, stars. It was stars, some meteors just coasted in and then flew away from our jet. Just some real low under a thousand feet some altitude near, meteors. Near instantaneous transmission of yeah. through space. Being held up through the weather inversion. Yeah. It pro- it probably really didn't help that at least the year before uh, the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still had come out, which is a great movie. Um, I've never seen the original, but I I like the, re- oh, the original. Re- the remake was great with Keanu. Ah, oh, fucking the original is amazing. Like it's yeah, it's so good. Um, Klaatu Barada Nikto. Uh, <laughs> so. You know, flying saucers were on the brain. Like it was already, you had tons of sci-fi movies already out and, and literature, pulp fiction, things like that. It, it, this really brought it all home that you had UFOs over the nation's capital, the United States, you know, one of the two at the, you know, at the time it was really one of the two major geopolitical powers and it's really hard to be like, you know, a lot of people probably like, oh, it's the Reds. It's fucking this. The, the Ruskies are going to come and get us. It's guided missiles, things like that. <laughs> but even that, I, I'm pretty sure most of the people were looking at it like, no way. Like Even a rational person. I mean, at that per, at that point, technology hadn't even come that far. It wasn't even something like you could see it in the in the comic books and things like that. But you could be like, there's no way that the Russians are that far ahead of us. You know, I'm sure, you know, logical thinking would would be like it doesn't go to the Russians. You're like, there's no way they don't move like that. They don't make things. They don't make things like that. It's impossible. You know, these things move intelligently. So even if they're intelligently, you can't just put it wouldn't have human pilots or things like that. And, you know, your head, your brain just makes the the connection to be like, this has got to be something from not from around here. That's for sure. Yeah, not from these parts. It, so, and it, it, go yeah. ahead, Dan. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, it's just all these trained people. It's not. It's again, these aren't just people on the ground who have, you know, never had experience, never been in a plane or anything. These are experienced people who are all having these, seeing these incredible, astonishing things that they've never seen before. Yeah, and seeing this tech, whatever it is, moving so fast and outmaneuvering the best we had to offer at the time in this astonishing form. It's not just like, you know, some rambling Joe is like a group. There's a lot of witnesses to this, a lot of skilled witnesses. These objects also remind me like a lot of the stories of like, like, well now, now we call them the Foo Fighters, but what was the French word for them back in world war two glowing? Like world war two pilots would see these glowing orange lights kind of like dancing with them through like battlefield and stuff or above them. Then they would just disappear out of nowhere. Anyways, anyways, we, now we know them as the Foo Fighters from World War II and they're described very similar to these Washington DC UFOs. Kind of like, kind of like a glowing ball. It makes you wonder like if, if, I wonder if these things have been around since we started having mass scale warfare with each other. Yeah, that's, 
I think that that's where I was kind of going next. It was like, if these, so if these were UFOs, if you were going to say that these were intelligently controlled craft, why were they here? Yeah. You know, and the, the easy, I think the, the easy, probably the most logical explanation is to be like, well, we had just, you know, five, six years before, was it seven years before 1945? Um, the United States had detonated their first, well, before that really, but it's like we had detonated our first nuclear bombs, our first atomic bombs. And then Russia set off theirs in 1949, which interestingly enough, like we were actually surprised by that. Right. We were, uh, the United States was, the United States had no idea that the Russians, like they, they, they estimated that they weren't going to detonate their first atomic bomb from what they knew about the uh, the Russians and, and their atomic weapons uh, development. They didn't think they were going to be ready until like 1952, like 1954, I think. I think UK put them in 1954. But they were way ahead of our estimates of where they were supposed so to be. They beat, beat their and, expectations. Right. And when they set off their first nuclear, their first atomic weapon, the Russians, um, you know, about the day after, um, the United States had picked up atomic particles in the atmosphere. That's how we knew that they had detonated their first atomic bomb. And Russia actually didn't know about our ability to um, detect atomic particles in the air, which they did by attaching these little kind of these devices onto a, like a B 29 uh, super fortress and you'd fly them around the sky and they would kind of just pick up these little atomic. They used them for like weather stuff too as well, but they used them also to detect uh, atomic particles in the atmosphere. And uh, the Russians didn't know we could do that until Truman made a radio announcement announcing that the Russians had detonated their first atomic bomb. We were able to trace those atomic particles back to like the detonation site, like the approximate detonation site, which was within the Soviet Union. That's fucking crazy. so you had like a radio announcement that another power had atomic weapons. So and if I bomb. were to, you know, if I were a, an alien race that was observing, you know, this planet, you might want to be like, well, we need to get a kind of better idea of what's going on down there. So I, I don't know why aliens would totally be invested in being like, we need to go fly over the I guess the geopolitical center of one of those countries, like, cause you never heard anything about this happening over Moscow. Really? We, ne- so. we never heard about it, but maybe it did. It was like the iron curtain was down. Yeah. So yeah. you never heard anything about it in Moscow. Maybe they have their own Moscow thing. I'm, I'm not sure, but, um, you know, maybe it's just co- sheer coincidence that they, that's where they were. Cause maybe it's a highly populated area. Which one? That, that it's I'm a highly populated like the area, the East Coast, United States, right? Well, they would have to, I, you know, if I were to you know, theorize about it, then it'd be like, well, yeah, you could go over Washington, D.C., but it's not any more real populous than any other place. I would think you'd probably see them over, you know, it'd be more likely to see them over secret military bases or, or things like that, because we do see those later. I mean, there yeah. are reports of that kind of stuff happening later um 1960s 1970s 1980s um there are you know occurrences of of ufos appearing over missile uh, missile inter you know icpm missile sites and and things like that but 
I, I don't exactly know why they would be interested in Washington, D.C. For me, it doesn't really make any sense because it's like, who cares? Because if you're just looking for radio stuff, then, you know, you can pick that up from, you know, from orbit. You can pick up radio, you know. Yeah, but isn't, so, isn't, not, isn't not Washington, D.C., like, was was the Pentagon not already there or was that not already military headquarters? Um, I'm not sure what time when the Pentagon had already been built, but even then it's so like the capital why, of the greatest army on earth at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it is, you know, the capital of one of the, the, the most powerful geopolitical forces of that time. You had Moscow and, and, and I like, Washington, I like to think when we started detonating these things, it like sent out some waves that we can't, that we don't know about that. Some interdimensional through, waves. Yeah. That wave through the, the galaxy and in, different dimensions letting the universe know that earth's ready for a higher form of war just like the avengers <laughs> earth. earth well you get you get earth. lieutenant harris you get lieutenant harrison out here and tell him welcome to earth welcome to earth that's what i think i i think there's a direct correlation from the first dropping of the nuclear bombs to um you know the uf the rise in ufo sightings around the world Seems to be. I mean, if you, right. if you think about it, I mean, that like harnessing nuclear fission technology, it's got to be one of the higher powers of matter, right? Well, that that's the thing is that the kind of once the Russians uh, detonated their first fission bomb, then the race was to build the hydrogen bomb because that was already a theoretical thing like they're already moving towards that direction we were like okay we've detonated an atomic bomb we need bigger fucking bombs because like, the hydrogen bomb is like a, a bigger yield but also less radiation is that right uh i think it's relatively less it's not like completely it's not no fallout but there is i think relatively less fallout it's like the more energy is used more for destruction rather than the right but it's still fallout. shitty yeah <laughs> you don't want to be there You're afterwards still- yeah, you don't want to be within anywhere of where it's going to be detonated or anywhere where the winds are blowing over that area. But think about that though. If that like if you have this like ET race or or different races or like how many, who knows. And they're so advanced that they can travel through these dimensions, let's say. They're not I always like the interdimensional travel more than wormhole yeah. travel. Just it's cooler to me. But just hypothetically, if they can control like this technology to jump through these dimensions, and maybe this, if everything happens in all dimensions, like at, you know, same time kind of thing, if you go that like multi, the multiverse theory, maybe like us blowing these motherfuckers up, they could, they, that's exactly it. It's like a beacon to go check them out. Like it feels like it should, like it, sh- it would be, right? Like a marker. Yeah. There is, I think that's, that's a popular idea in some places where kind of like atomic energy is kind of like a marker of, you know, technological advancement that we've learned how to harness the power of the atom. And that's kind of like where you go from there is kind of determines the, we, we literally had just, uh, you know, invented a pretty surefire way. I had to blow our, blow ourselves up and, you know, and complete global destruction. Yeah. We've, we've got it. We've got that down. <laughs> yeah. And, and more probably than blowing us up, destroying a, a valuable, like life habiting planet in the process. Yeah. Um, you know, from what we've seen, well, you know, it's now that we have new telescopes and things like that, you know, 
it, we might find that Earth is not exactly as rare as we thought it used to be. That it is. A, We're you know, already a finding that. We're finding that all the well, time. Well, not exactly. Now. The planets that we do find, it's like it, it, because they have water on. We're be able to find a lot more planets that have water on them and seem to have atmospheres and kind of similar qualities to Earth. But that doesn't mean that they support life. So, um, not our life. You know, if we go, yeah, not our kind, our type of life or whatever, you know, there could be icy squids on a satellite or whatever over uh, orbiting Jupiter or Saturn or, you know, there could be icy squid people, which would be totally awesome. But um, squid people, I think, yeah, I think people. there's every type of person you could ever imagine out there. Like, like squid lowers. I think you, like in, I, I think you just upper? talking about uh, squid monsters. The best of both worlds, some would say. <laughs> no one says that. Now people do. <laughs> I want that I on a know. shirt with a so There's probably some Japanese artists that would probably take umbrage with what you're saying. <laughs> they do love their tentacle yeah. porn. I take that back. I do not want a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where were we? Wait, we got a, what, what were we talking about? I lost talking it. about, uh, yeah, wiping out all life on Earth. Um, oh, the atom- harnessing the power of the bomb or power of nuclear f- fission attracted these advanced civilizations to earth or if you think about it or back to earth or they've become, I think or they've come here the whole time. That's a good, that's a good point. I think, I think they've been coming here. I think it's, it's maybe a marker and they come in spurts, right? We, you know, there's some hieroglyphs that, you know, and sky people, you always hear stuff about that. And I think they've come once they've found life. Like I imagine life, I don't think life's rare. In the universe, I think sooner than later we're going to find out that that's just not the case. Simple form bacteria and stuff is going to be. We're going to find it everywhere. It has to. Uh, I think. I think intelligent life like us that um, does, you know, forms societies and cultures and stuff. I think that's rare, and not only is that rare, it's just how it develops and the intricacies in our society is what's very rare. So it's interesting for higher beings to see, to see the differences. And they come at these markers in our history, right? It's like, they know, like once you come once and we're in the stone age, they're like, I seen it. Right. I seen it. Like, why, what am I going to Why, why are we going to go back? I seen it. There's still going to be, get you know, back to me when you developed iron. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, their little sensors are going to be like, they just remember those things we went and saw like eons ago. I think they just split the atom. Like, let, let's go take a peek. Carl, do you feel so that? You see it, yeah, so you Guys see in an c- influx c- of these things room. of, you see, yeah, you see this influx of these beings now coming back and being like, and checking it out. And maybe it's a beacon now for things that have didn't know we were around at, for, at first, and now they do. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be coming all their time now because it's as much as we're developing fast, we're still like, we're st- between the developing and us detonating the bomb till now, like, in the span of all things, like we haven't come that far. Like we've, yeah, we've made great advances in technology and stuff, but like for some sort of like super race, we didn't take the next giant leap. Yeah. yeah. We haven't taken the next giant leap yet. So, uh, um, that's, that's one of the popular, I think one of the popular tropes or, uh, themes in, and sci-fi literature and, and media is that when, humans split the power of the atom. There's a lot of things. It, I mean, it's one of the parts of the day the earth stood still is that humans have developed atomic weapons. So now you have become a threat to, you know, other planets. You're able to, you know, wipe up. You're basically able to wipe 
out intelligent life on a planet with your weapons. So right. now you have to be considered a threat or a player in the thing. But for me, when I think about that, I'm like, no, that's fucking stupid. Because if you're an alien race that again, I say this all the time, if you're an alien race that is harnessed the, you know, develop the ability to harness the, the incredible forces that are needed to travel through space instantaneously or, you know, within a single lifetime, even if you're extraordinarily long lived, you're not going to care about nuclear weapons. You're going to be like, this is, why? But maybe, who cares about these? But maybe nuclear weapons are such a powerful, powerful thing, no matter how advanced you get. Maybe there's a, maybe it's no. Not way. if you have energy manipulation, because then if you have energy manipulation, you'd probably be able to even stop, you know, or, or halt chemical processes or, you know, atomic processes. So if you saw a nuclear weapon and you're able to use the energy to either, you know, puncture wormholes or, you know, penetrate the, 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 the barriers between dimensions, you'd be like, I don't even care. Like I could just, if, especially if you're an interdimensional traveler, you could be like, well, I can just shift into another dimension. Yeah. But like, maybe, why would that's I, what I mean, worry about that's what I mean. Weapons? Yeah. They're probably, I mean, maybe we're okay. Maybe it's, we can't damage them, but maybe it's the planet they're worried about. Maybe any planet, yeah, any I, planet I like this, any planet like this that can make, like, give rise, which, whichever way to like a species like us is like probably the one in a billion. Right. So they keep, they keep track of them. They, tr- they may allow people to become peacefully advanced, but as soon as they start developing nuclear bombs and other shit, maybe they do come uh, have a little poke around. I'd have to be, I, I could say that that's possible. Of course it's possible. It's, anything's possible. <laughs> um, it, another thing is like being like, if these beings have observed us for a long time, so say, you know, there's the, you know, of course there's the, you know, the ancient, alien theory where it's like aliens have been watching us for tens of thousands of years. Um, I would also be like, well, why do they, why do they really care? And also why have they been around for tens of thousands of years? Like look at us, like look at humans. Like if we, we're the most advanced, you know, intelligent species that we know of and how far we've come in the last 50 years in terms of technology. And so you would have an alien race out there, that is like, you don't think they advance more quickly? Or? Yeah, but maybe there's plateaus, right? Maybe like, okay, you developed electricity, your society society leaps and bounds forward, then computing. Um, now, what what would what would be next for us? What's the next thing? Then nucle- nuclear AI, nuclear fusion, cl- limitless clean energy. Then our planet could really take off, right? Then we could really start developing tech. But then, yeah, I guess artificial intelligence is, is like, what's the next greatest tech you, that we think that we could, that we're going to have. Right. So anti-gravity. You have, so, so if you have these, these anti-gravity AI, you know, races out there, you know, why would they technically for me, for me, I'm like, I would find it hard for them to be like, oh, we're going to stay, we're going to stay around here for 10,000 years because why would they do that? Because you could just go terraform another planet. Like if we already had the idea like if humans already had the idea to do it, I'm sure an alien race that's like 10,000 years ahead of us would be like, yeah, okay, we can do that. Yeah, but maybe that's what I'm saying. Maybe there's like a point where like where you get to these plateaus of technology and then you're now, you know, because let's say from if you whatever you want to believe, 4,000 BC to 2000 or let's say 1800, the technology wasn't vastly different. So it was kind of stuck in the same spot. And then in 100 years we advance, but like, 
really we're now we have personal computers and all, that stuff's not really going to change as it's going to get faster so is there going to be a plateau where then we'll stay the same for a thousand years before the next jump is what i'm saying so if there's a if there's an advanced alien species they made it to that the like the, almost the pinnacle and they've been there slowly they've been progressing slowly but there's no been like no giant leaps and bounds you think there's a, you think there's like a plateau of like alien intelligence or is there is it going well so i i think it, i know it's been theorized at least that the not the plateau but the ending point is comp- is pretty much completing a fully functional ai and at that point the civilization you know you make a choice or you would theoretically have to make a choice do you you know do you join the singularity do you integrate this ai into everything and you do that and it becomes part of everyone and everyone becomes the ai or something like that or does the ai take over and then it becomes the ai is this endlessly multiplying improving um you know I, I you could say mindless but it's just following its program to multiply and improve and 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 whatever and is is that what happens you know well, so i would i would there's there's two things i always think about when i kind of get into this like of how they how other species would travel space like the great distances so if you don't have control over those elements like zell was talking about being able to fold space or travel through dimensions it would make sense that it artificial life, some sort of AI is doing the the long hauls because it's just space travel just isn't really doesn't make a lot of sense for biological life. Nope. Now, if that's the case, maybe that's the next cursor, whether it's uh you know, if it is AI life, maybe they're waiting to assimilate, right? Pick up the human knowledge, archive the history, and away we go into Join the Galactic Federation of AI. There we are, part of the hive. Or if it is, um, say, biological life like ourselves, and they've harnessed these powers, you got to think that AI, like untethered AI, is a little bit of a threat because unchecked, like it'll just keep growing, keep growing, keep growing. So I think that could be a next precursor for when we see return of like a lot of UFOs is. Uh, like the advent of AI for us. And we're getting closer and closer to that. So what that, just like the signal of un- building uh, the nuclear bomb, us um, unleashing a advanced AI is the next signal. And they're like, Hey, wait a minute, guys. Yeah. They're like, Whoa, when we like, build out. No, when we build a whole bunch of armies of Haley, Joel Osmond's running around Haley, yeah. Joel Osmond <laughs> robots running around. That's when the UFOs will show up. It, it, it happened in the movie. Spielberg called it. We'll, we'll wait for that moment. Spoilers. Anyways, we got way off. Actually, the, not really. Spoilers. We got way off the original topic, but I was. It's always fun just to theorize about where they, where they, where the ETs came from and how they came here and what are they. It's always it's an endless topic. Why are they so? Why are they so interested in Washington D.C.? That place. I mean, it doesn't suck. I mean, there's lots of nice architecture and cool stuff there. Maybe they're there for the free museums. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, check X-raying them. Scanning. They were they were looking for the Ark of the Covenant. Always you can flip, you can fit that into any story. Been handled by top men, Brayden. Top yeah. men. Uh, that's all. I, that's all. Basically, uh, do you guys have anything else for what the Washington UFO? We kind of got off on a got on a tangent nice there, but no. Theorizing. That, this uh, I like this one a lot because it involves like high like high capacity people who are good at their craft, multiple locations of radar. 
eyewitness reports. It was actually, it was a like the CIA was interested for national security and all that stuff. Like it was a, it wasn't just a, a sighting that everyone could just brush off. You know, it wasn't easy just to be like, that's nothing. Even though they mass, they like mass media printed it as nothing. There's so many like high people that it's, you know, it's kind of hard to ignore, ignore this one. That's what I think. No, I, I agree. Um, just with all the skilled people, the fact that you have the person who's investigating UFOs, uh, Edward Ruppelt there talking to these people, people are giving them eyewitness accounts saying like, yeah, I don't believe any of that. You have people recanting their stories of what they said that night to stuff that more fits in line with the embarrassing press conference that the air force put out. Right. I think this one is really good show of like what happens when these things are seen most of the time is that they get covered up right away. I like it. Yeah. I, yeah, I'd agree with, they could be, I mean, best, best theory for me is that they're, you know, they were alien probes sent here to kind of, yeah. Analyze the, the whole like society interaction level of what, what's going on in the world that after, you know, a, a couple of years after these, these monkeys have mastered the at one well, that mastered, but you know, um, begun the harnessing of the power of the atom, you know, mm-hmm. see where we're at. So it could very well be that. And, and it would be, it, it's hard. It's, it's really difficult for me to kind of, um, take the things that they said, uh, how they explained it in the Air Force's press conference and, and, and subsequent explanations later by experts that said that these 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 ra- like they tried to they've tried to blame it on so many things that they, they tried to say that the radar operators were incompetent, that it was just like, you know, there were three, two to three people looking at those radar contacts like the whole time. You know, it wasn't just one person. So you're telling me all three of them were completely incompetent. Yeah. And people who are around them looking at them were completely incompetent. Everybody in the entire, all those towers are a bunch of morons and they didn't know what they were doing. Then it's like, why were they even working there in the first place if they were that bad? <laughs> and then you had the, you had pilots, experienced pilots flying in and looking at these things and said they were, how they were moving. You couldn't tell what they were. Impossible to catch moving at extraordinary speeds. So you have visual and I, I, you know, if it were just the radar contacts, like they said, oh, there's just a radar contacts and we sent pilots up there and we didn't see anything. OK, yeah. Then maybe I'd say, OK, maybe it was just a temperature thing. But then you had people seeing lights, not just pilots, but people on the ground at the Air Force Base, military personnel. You had civilians reporting, uh, you know, hundreds of reports of seeing something in the sky. These lights that were acting like unlike anything that they'd ever seen before. Right. So trying to get me to kind of put all that stuff together and being like, Oh, it's just weather phenomenon. And I'm like, it, what? <laughs> always just weather phenomenon. No, can't get, not I can't, always. I can't not. Always. Yeah. That train's not leaving the station. That one's staying in. No. Cool. Cool case. Hashtag look it up. Oh yeah. If you tell me it's yeah. swamp gas, I'll 100% believe you. Yeah. It's <laughs> good. Swamp gas, weather balloon, a little bit of some, uh, Venus in the sky. <laughs> Weather balloons filled with swamp gas. Yeah, and a low-hanging Venus. That makes it's sense. Usually, yeah. Um, why don't we get into uh, UFO case file of the week? Uh, let's fire up the old uh, fan submission here. Okay. 
Why isn't this working? X3, come on, you little bitch. Let's go. Talk to the random Matron like that. She's a classy lady. We have a love-hate relationship in this machine here. Printer's getting longer, I think. We need to go paperless. <laughs> so this story is from someone who prefers to remain anonymous. Uh, they gave me their name. Uh, I'm not going to say it, but I'll read your story and thank you for sending it in. And once you hit, you know who you are. Although I was too young to remember, my mom tells me that when I was a child, I did some pretty freaky stuff. Uh, one evening during supper, I was sh- sitting in my high chair. The television was on in the living room, uh, set on the evening news. Just before a commercial break, the reporter announces that the winning pick three lottery numbers will be revealed when the show returned. My mom says that I muttered three numbers from my high chair, which she did not think anything about. However, after the break, the pick three numbers were the same numbers I had said. She was quite freaked out to say the least. On another occasion, my family went to get a storage unit. My mom and I stayed in the car while my dad got out to speak with a man at the business. I'm not sure if he worked there or not. I kept telling my mom that I did not like the man my dad was talking to. She reassured me that it was okay and that I just didn't know him, and that's why he seemed scary. Once my dad returned, I again said that I did not like the man. This time, however, I included that he cuts people. Once I said that, my dad became quiet and visibly disturbed. After prodding from my mom, he explained that the man had just been released from police custody for stabbing someone. During this time, my mom also experienced unusual things in our home. She would hear a video game being played when neither of my older brothers were home, but find nothing on when she explored the house. Or she would hear a baby crying while I was napping in my crib, but find me peacefully sleeping when she checked on me. She also told me of a time that she thought my uncle had entered the house while she was vacuuming. She was expecting him, but when she turned to talk to him, no one was there. I do not remember any of this, but it seems a lot of children are super sensitive to these types of experience. And maybe it was the home we lived in at the time, considering my mom had other strange things happen to her. Uh, thanks for all the great content, guys, and hope you find this as interesting as I do. Um, thank you, unnamed anonymous uh, fan submission. Uh, that's much. a weird one with the like the the kid like as a kid saying this stuff. Super fucking weird. That would creep me the fuck out. Oh. <laughs> However, the mom, the mom saying she like hearing video games and stuff be played. Well. We've been gaming so much Apex that sometimes I just like faint ghost hear some of the sound effects to Apex when I'm not playing it. It's true. Same thing with like sometimes I hear my phone ping when it's on silent. I just I have ghost pings and I think it's ghost I, noise. I think that's just something. I'm sure there's some scientific phenomenon to it where you hear <laughs> these things. I I'm not smart enough to know it off the top of my head. Uh, kind of like phantom limb sure- syndrome. But phantom yeah, sound or syndrome. Like everyone gets the phantom vibrate in your in your when you think your phone's in the pocket, right? And you feel your phone. You think you feel your phone vibrate, but you don't have your phone on you. Like we all have that kind of stuff. So I think these like routine things of like hearing the video games, hearing the video games, 
and then think you're hearing the video games and not. It's not. It's your brain just filling in void. It's your brain just filling in empty spots with stuff. Uh, and I think that's the, like, it's just your brain playing tricks on you. However, the kids shit where your kid, as a kid saying weird stuff like that, yeah. that is so freaky. So freaky. I don't like it. But good story anyways. That's a great story. I'll tell you, send in, send in more creepy kid stories. I like listen to <laughs> creepy shit your kids say. Just creepy stories. It doesn't just have to be kids, but. No, it doesn't have to be kids. <laughs> Any creepy story. Any creepy story, send them um, in. What else we got here? I'm going to give out a theorite of the week. We have a theme for that. No, we don't, but we should. I don't know why we don't have a theme for that. We'll, I say we need one. We will get a theme for that. Maybe we'll do one for Pod Week. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. Anyways, I'm going to give this week's theorite of the week to this guy. His name's Jason Gallant. He's, uh, he actually helped started. I knew him from the band. He, he did some, uh, some video for us, and then I, I turned him on to the podcast like a year ago. And he's become a number one fan, and he actually wants to help us uh, do some video stuff. And I told him I'd give a, him a shout-out, too. He's actually got a YouTube channel. So I know Braden and Andrew are into powerlifting, and this guy has a powerlifting bodybuilding channel. So check him out. It's on, uh, called Gallant Bodybuilding on YouTube. He's a beauty. He's going to help us out, do some video stuff for him. So I uh, thought we'd give him a shout-out. He actually wanted to buy ads on the show. I was like, we don't do ads, man, but I'll give you a shout-out. So. There you go, Jason Glant, Theorite of the Week. Some new Patreoners. If you're not already on our Patreon, we've got so much stuff. And in Pod Week, we're going to have so much more stuff. Uh, we've got D&D. We've got Confidentials. Uh, we've got Gruesome Twosome with me and Dan. One Star Reviewers, X Plus One. Uh, hours and hours of additional content. Uh, and you help the show. You help it keep, keep it ad-free. So get on there. You can donate as little as a dollar. Everything helps. This, we got some new ones. We have our boy Josh, uh, Chris Mott, doing the old trick to get us get his name noticed oh, at the beginning of the trick. month. I like it. Uh, Dane Argomanka. Uh, Nick. <laughs> what? Like Argomanka. Argomanka. Nathan Mondor. Oh, God, why does everyone have such hard... Okay, I don't have to read here. Dan Krim. Ryan Lopez, uh, Eric Welker, Rob McAvoy, 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 uh, and that's it. That's all the ones I have on there. Yeah, that sounds about right. So thank you to all our new Patreoners. Um, unfortunately, we don't have any reviews. Keep giving us reviews and five stars. It really helps the show. Uh, the service that we normally use, uh, we let our subscription lapse. We haven't renewed it, so. Yeah. Classic. Uh, um, what else we got? Anything else? I was gonna say we'd mentioned Patreon and Pod Week. So if you didn't know, you, now you know. Dan, Andrew, me, and Braden are all gonna be live for one week podcasting for God knows how much time per day. Uh, we'll be doing a ton of stuff, just our normal case files, public feed, but on Patreon. The people who've been supporting the show for a while, we're doing a whole bunch of private live streams and private podcasts. So. If, you, if you've been on the fence, now this is the week. Um, I want to do uh, my band of the week. So band of the week is called London Restless, and their song is called Phantom Friend. You can find them on Spotify. Uh, these guys have been supporting the podcast through Patreon, and they sent their song in a while ago, and I'm finally getting to it. So play it at the end oh, here. And just, just before you get to this, 
if you've been watching us live this week, Mr. Conspiracy's been trolling me the whole time. Oh, he's Let me been tell in you there. something, brother. Let me tell you something, brother. Coming to town. And what you gonna do, brother? When Sleazy B runs wild on you, brother. He's telling I have hair plugs. Little, what a dick. <laughs> wiener. Can't wait. But you're a Miss Conspiracy's a boob. That's all I gotta say. That's all you gotta say. <laughs> Dan, any, any shout outs before uh before you make your way here? Uh no, not really. I don't get anything. Dan will be in town. Mm-hmm. Be a good time. It'll be fun. One week of Dungeon Maester. One week of chaos. Mm. Lady Zell's pumped, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> How long are they coming for? <laughs> a solid week. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, and we're heading into after hours after the show. So if uh you want to hear after hours, one day we'll do them live stream, but you can get them uh in our Discord. I think we usually stream it onto Discord. Yep. Uh, and you can follow us on there. So uh, get on Patreon and head over for some after hours. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is it. Um, London Restless. Phantom Friend. Play it at the end here. You're going to sign it off? You want me to cut it? Oh, keep those eyes on the sky. <laughs> I was like getting ready for the music. I was like... <laughs> Just to go